How do you do out there in Radio Land? This is Cliff Martin with one F, please, because it's Clifford. No, it's not Clifford. I'm not a big red dog. It's Clifton. And that is just one F, and I thank you for watching this. <laughs> now, Cliff, now you, first of all, just tell me, as far as in Muskegon, how many stations have you been at? How many stations in Muskegon is a tricky question because, as you know, Oscar, the history of Muskegon Radio and most other towns has so many stations with changes of ownership, management, format, and call letters that about all I can tell you is the last one with the call letters of WQWQ, I believe, was the seventh owner of those call letters and uh, that explains it. Beyond that, who can keep track of it? <laughs> Good story. I was a young Methodist kid in Warren, a suburb of Detroit, and in Flint there was a station owned by the Methodist Church called WMRP, Methodist Radio Parish, and they would take kids wanted to get in radio and trade them and then after we got trained we were supposed to give them 120 hours of airtime in exchange for the trade well being a hotshot methodist they hired me for i don't know 100 bucks a week big pay in those days and i stayed there for five years at wmrp there was one called wkjr this was the, the last of four Christian stations owned by the Kuiper family of Grand Rapids. The, the WFUR, the old flagship, is still on the air. They had one in Kalamazoo, Duagiac, uh, Grand Rapids, and here KPR was named after William Kuiper Jr. I was there for five years. Okay. Now, when, do you, were you at W True also? Oh, another good question is this? A, yeah, this is this is a true hat. People ask me, were you at W True? Sort of. This was not during their heyday as the big hot uh, top forty station, but quite a while after that, for a very short time, True was ABC Talk Radio. Fred Hascone had moved WQWQ into the same building on the summit next to the drive-in, and WTRU elevator music, WQ elevator music was across the glass from uh, W, uh, what did I say, where did I go? I don't know, well anyway, the other station. Okay, okay, and, and true on one side, WQ and so I worked on both sides and on WTRU I had a pretty good uh, call-in show I'd done that at other stations and I had great fun with that so no I didn't work at WQ you grew up with I say that to the 50 60 year olds that grew up when true was their station no when WTRU was the hot top 40 I was at WKBZ which is the older station and KBZ and True were in competition not for listeners but for advertising revenue 
I was a pretty big star at WKBZ doing their night show, uh, Radio 85. And then uh, later it, it all changed and who knows what is anywhere doing what now. It started, I was the first voice on WKJR when they built it in 1963. That was on what was then an extension of Glendale down by near Mona Lake. It is now, I forgot what the name of it is, it's been a police station and a home heating place and buildings still there, but the tower's gone. Anyway, I stayed there, I think, for about seven years. It was probably around 1970 or so that I finally got my first phone ticket, which I had to have to work at KBC and went there. Now, who was the general manager at that time? Oh, Hal Waddell, yeah. He, he was a, a, an old-time broadcaster, an old-type uh, manager who sat in his office and didn't have a whole lot to do with the people who worked there, but he was respected and a very important mover and shaker in, in the Muskegon area. He knew everybody. And then after he left, things changed and there was a big succession of uh, owners and managers and formats. But, oh, when I first journeyed to Muskegon to take a job at WKVZ, which was then in the Apple Avenue Auditorium building, Archie Shawd was the manager. I think he offered me 75 a week, but I already had a, a romance going in Flint, so I did not take it, and I was never in back aid in Muskegon until 63 at KJR. I spent a short three months at WMAX in Grand Rapids before I found myself involuntarily at Liberty. You know that happens to radio people. And I worked with a fine, fine broadcaster who got me a job working for the Kuiper company and that's how I got here. A lot of history there. Okay. Now <clears throat> as far as um, the WKBZ days, do you, who really kind of stands out in your memory as far as people that you met there? Because there's a lot of, a lot of Oh yeah, story. John Graska was the news director. I think he passed away fairly recently in Grand Haven. Yeah, he, that's the days when stations had a news director and they really did news. And I'd get calls all the time wanting sports scores or a news story that I didn't know anything about. People weren't even listening to the station because local radio really was local in those days. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do I remember Bill Harms? I am still friends with Bill and Anita and their daughter Robin. I think Bill also worked briefly at the uh, Blue Lake station. Uh, yeah, Bill was a very, very special friend and I enjoyed working with him a lot. And that around the same time when June Rice worked at WKBZ for a while, while I was there, they totally redid the inside of the building. 
I kind of wish I could get into it now if Grand Valley would let me so I could see what it looks like. Uh, uh, um, they built the studio facility onto that just a few years before I came to Muskegon. That had originally been George Kravitsky's transmitter house where he sat in there during the whole day because you had to have a licensed engineer on premises in those days. Um, in the old auditorium building, which was originally a church, I found that out, they had a, a grand piano and a Hammond organ and an auditorium studio. His name, Klaus Halpers. Klaus, of course, with a name like that, uh, you would never forget Klaus Helfer is a great, great, great sportsman. He he left KBZ and went someplace up north, I believe, one of the northern stations. And there was another great character at W. John, hmm, he, he, he was a redhead. He wore... He's long gat gone, I can say. He, he was red-headed. He had a uh, stash in the bathroom, which I found and gave him without ever telling anyone about it, so he really liked me. He, he was a very colorful kid, fine voice. How about Dave Lorenz? I still run into him. I think he still goes to uh, Lake Harbor United Methodist Church. Very, very well known and, and respected name. Dave Lorenz. Oh, yes. Not relation to Tracy Lorenz, yeah. uh, whom I also like. He, he gets away with saying things that make people hate him, <laughs> but I, I love him for that. Yeah, I like Tracy too. Um, how about uh, Sherry Kimball? There's, there's, a, there's a woman that... Sherry Kimball lives not far from me. Yeah, she, 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 she lasted through more managers and uh, changes than anybody else there, and I always admired her for doing... I don't know how she did it. I yes. But that, I always felt that she was the one that was pretty much running the station. Yeah, right. From Flint to Marine City, which is over south of Port Huron, north of Detroit, right on the St. Clair River. That was a W dog. <laughs> and the the news intro was, arf, 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 the W dog news hounds chase the news into your home. <laughs> and from there, after finding myself involuntarily at liberty from W dog, oh wait, let's go back for a while. Buck Matthews, when he was a flyboy at uh, Selfridge Air Force Base, worked at W Dog, and after he left WJR, he came back briefly while I was there and did a show before he went to a Detroit area FM station and eventually migrated west where he became a big star at uh, Wood. And oh, okay, after getting the proverbial axe from W. Dog, uh, I, I put an ad in the broadcasting magazine, which is the Journal of Broadcasters, and landed an answer from a town in North Montana named Haver, that's H-A-V-R-E, but pronounced Haver, named after a French seaport city. And for some reason, they liked me 
So I packed up, let's see, most of my kids that were already born in my 59 Ford wagon and headed for North Montana. It's on what they call the High Line, US 2. There was Chinook and Haver and Hingham and Inverness. Uh, and I worked at KOJM in Haver for three amazing years. I still think of that almost every day, although that was in the late 50s. The then manager of KOJM later became the governor of Montana, Stan Stevens. Great, great history there. Wonderful job. I thought I had to have my trees and water. So I came, put an ad, said, one wandering wolverine wants water lump wonderland <laughs> and max in grand rapids answered that and a fellow named victor lundberg who became quite famous he had a famous record which was uh, a letter to his young upstart son urging him to behave himself and not go with the nuttiness of the 60s. Vic Lundberg hired me at WMAX, and after I called myself at liberty from there, then I came to Muskegon, yeah. Okay, now, as far as when you went through all these different jobs, did you get fired? Did the new ownership come in? Well, How did that work? God bless them, there are still people who say, you got fired? Oh, come on, anybody who has ever been in radio has been fired. Well, <laughs> yeah, there are only two stations that I left where they were not happy to see me leave. The first was in Flint at WMRP. Uh, because I was a good Methodist lad and they hated to see me go out into the world. And the other one was KOJM in Haver, Montana. I did a very popular morning show there. I'll never forget those days in Haver, Montana. I'd drive 100 miles to two the piano. There wasn't anybody else. Great fun. Now, you used to play organ for a lot of the old silent movies, too, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah. One of my great, great claims to fame was that I was the theater organist at the Fraudfall for the first Buster Keaton Damfino's Convention. Damfino's of the International Buster Keaton Society. This year, as this is being taped, it's almost time for the 25th annual Damfino's Convention. For the first two or three years, I played the theater organ for Buster Keaton's uh, Damfino's. KOJM in Haver, Montana. It was a last frontier. Uh, the only station for miles around, the only other one was in Great Falls. It had listeners all along northern Montana. Uh, they did the, the cattle report every day. It was just... Oh, it, a woman from Chinook, Montana, the next town east, had a, an amplifier and microphone in her closet, and this was her studio, and every day she did the Chinook Hour on KOJM. Interviewed the local preacher and all the things that were going on in Chinook. And I would bring her on every day with playing 
Bing Crosby's recording of the Dear Hearts and Gentle People. That's what North Montana was, a dear heart and gentle people. I'll, I'll never forget it. Fascinating three years. Oh, yeah, Jim is still very much one of the world's great gardeners. Oh, my goodness, that man has, I think, all, all ten fingers are green. Oh, man, can he grow stuff. Yeah, Jim is a wonderful, a colorful character. I think he started at MUS. He worked just about everywhere. He's a kid, yeah. Great, great, great radio guy. Yeah, he used to pick me up and take me up to, uh, what, what do they call Gold Radio, whatever they called it, yeah, for meetings there. Real Gold, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Real Gold. Yeah, Jim, I'm still in touch with Jim every day on Facebook. Oh, yeah, he, he appreciates my silly funnies that I put on there. Yeah, good guy. I first went to WQWQ, and it was owned by the same people who owned the Price Cleaners next door. Anyway, they owned that station. Then, time frame isn't clear. Either a woman bought that frequency and call letter, 104.5 FM, and moved it to the north, or Fred Tascone and company bought it. I'm not sure which came first. Anyway, at one point, Fred Tascone and company bought WQWQ and operated it as an elevator music. I remember very well, uh, well I worked there overnight playing actual records. I loved working overnight because boss wasn't listening. I played what I wanted to. No, for, I'd play a whole night at Gershwin or Irving Berlin. I had wonderful, wonderful time. And then Fred moved WQ along with WTRU over uh, near the drive-in theater on Summit. Yeah, I worked with, oh, let's see, uh, Michelle May, who is one of my very special dear friends who has worked in radio and TV and journalism. And uh, yeah, you, you have to interview Michelle. She's, she knows everything about local theater. She was in it as a child. Anyway, I worked with her, and oh, more people than I can even remember. But that was a yeah, that that was great fun. Everything kind of fell apart after we moved in with WTRU. But oh, yeah, Bill Stevens and Marge Champagne, who were staples at WKBZ went to WQWQ, owned by the Price family, before I did, and they got me into there. Somewhere I have a picture of me and Marge Champagne. I was playing the organ. They had moved into the opening of Muskegon Federal Savings Building on Henry Street. Crazy stories that can be told and not be told. Yeah, at uh, Dog in Marine City, a horse used to come looking in the window while I was on the air. That was kind of cool. A lot of Muskegon stories best not be told because a lot of the people are still alive, but I'm going to write a book before I die, which will be available to long after that when we're all... Uh, long gone. There was one person who worked at KBZ who had a bit of a temper and kind of 
kind of poked a hole in the restroom door, I, I won't name him, and he had a bit of shooting off his gun in the parking lot. <laughs> oh my, strange, strange. Oh, in, in Montana, I was privileged to, to announce a rodeo. I never rode a horse or got close to him, but I put on my cowboy hat and announce a rodeo. That was great fun. One of the KBZ jocks, his wife came in while he was on the air, took off her ring, threw it at him. <laughs> he, he chased her out the door. <laughs> I took over his show. There was a, oh, WTAC in Flint, stood for the Auto City. I worked there briefly as a copywriter. I was fired by an old battle axe who said I was too slow. She quit a month later. There was a strike. The program director spit, uh, the DJ spit in the program director's eye at WTAC. There was a strike. The union came in. They let me go just as my union membership would have taken effect. That's the all, that's the good union ratio ever did to me. So, I think I went in and took over his show. I don't remember. There was a big strike, went on for a long time because of that incident. I can't remember much. Oh, typical of radio, yes. Can you can you mention some of the jobs you've had in radio besides, because everybody just thinks, oh, I get on the radio and announce, but there's a ton of other things. Oh, yeah, in those days you did news. My, my last unfortunate days at WKBZ, the manager, I couldn't deliver the kind of rock sound in the top 40 they wanted. I just don't have it. So I said, okay, let me do news. I tried that, and he said, well, uh, quit the folksy introductions. <laughs> I thought I was Arthur Godfrey, you know, and just do the news, so he didn't like me very well, so I got, got the, either got the axe or got left there. Uh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned something about copywriting and all that stuff. You, oh, yeah, in WKJR, I wrote some wonderful commercials. I remember one for TJ's Car Wash. TJ was a cat and their logo was kind of a tomcat and I wrote some wonderful commercials. How do you get a... How do you turn on a kitchen range? Well, you get real close and whisper, I love you, range. <laughs> I wrote creative stuff. And for Crotheim Jewelers, I, I had great success. I sold a lot of very high-end jewelry with uh, ad-libbed commercials. They had an upstairs, which is high-end stuff. Lucille Andrews around that loved me. One of the stations where I worked, you were required to ad-lib the commercials from notes. At Martin Road was the home of so many call letters and management and formats that I can't even remember. Uh, when I left WKJR, they still were one AM frequency, one tower in the middle of the swamp there. And then while I was 
at WKBZ, I guess, WKJR bought some land on Martin Road and got a license to go directional, and they put up nine towers. And there was a plaque, a religious plaque on the wall uh, dedicated to uh, Christ. And that was WKJR for William Kuiper Jr. And I was there for about seven years. And then after that, for a while, that was WKBZ. It was W. I think WABM for a while. When I went there, it was WABM, elevator music. And it, it, it probably had more different radio stations in the building at one time or another than, than almost any. But that building is gone. I wish I had been there to see the take the, the nine towers down. It must have been quite a sight. I drive by there and I actually cannot find for sure where the building was. I think it's condos now. There used to be a blueberry farm uh, across the way. For a while, Ed and Joan Panarak, Mr. and Mrs. West Michigan Polka, owned WKBZ in the Martin Road building. Those were were great days. Uh, I had a good show there. Uh, I worked at, Joan is still around. Ed has left us some years ago, but Joan Kanarak is still very much with us. I have somewhere photos of Ed and Joan doing a, an anniversary show on, on the backyard. And Tom Sanaki, who now does the polka show, uh, I have photos of him from over there. Great, great history, good memory over there, yeah. As far as laws go, remember, do you remember what you had to go through to get your FCC license and all that to be on the air? Well, I flunked FCC licenses a total of nine times. Um, when I started, you only needed what they call a third-class permit, which you just get by applying for it. When I went to WKBZ, which was directional, I had to have what they called a first phone. There was a pretty stiff test you had to take for that. I worked with George Kravitsky at WKBZ, who was a grand old engineer from, from the old, old days. In those days, he still sat out in the transmitter room and started takes for me in the control room. They all did it. My first station at uh, WMRP in Flint, and every radio station that I know of in those days had a disc recorder. Uh, wire recording was the first attempt at uh, anything better than recording it on a, a, a platter, a disc. That didn't work very well, and then tape came along. But in those days, re commercials and programs were actually recorded on discs, and every station had a disc cutter. At that station, we would go to a church and record service, and we hauled two huge 16-inch turntables, which had disc cutters on them, 
and a microphone and an amplifier, all of the big old suitcase, and record that on a big 16-inch blank disc. And that's how it was done in those great days. Sound quality of early disc recordings was quite remarkable. Um, recording technique had been developed by that time for phonograph records and what they called electrical transcriptions, pre-recorded 16-inch desks that I would say the quality was excellent. In those days, church services and syndicated programs would come to the radio station on 16-inch discs. I remember playing some of them. Uh, each denomination had its own program, and they would send you this 16-inch disc, and you would write on the label when you ran it, send it back, and then they would send it on to the next station. Mm -hmm. It worked very well. Yeah. I learned to interview by doing one at the Flint Farmer's Market. They had a device, a little box, where you could put put your phone in it, soundproof, and hook it up to the phone line from the market and get you must have had a microphone, yeah, hooked up to it somehow. And then it would broadcast over the phone line. That that probably continues some places even today. It was used very often. A couple of the remotes I did uh, yeah, Breakfast Club, I think, from uh, Uncle Ron's and maybe Russ's, uh, we would just plug our amplifier into the, the phone jack for their company phone line and broadcast over the... Uh, you could rent a higher quality phone line if you had a really good broadcast, but most of the times we didn't worry about quality and just use the company's phone line. They would give you what they call an equalized phone line, so better quality. Oh, phone line remotes are very common, I suppose. Might still be used in the boonies. The breakfast club started at W... Hmm. Station in Grand Rapids. Uh, very, very popular. I can't think of the call letters right now. They were in the top floor of the uh, hotel there. They had a really high-class, by-invitation show called The Breakfast Club, a little monitor on each table. Uh, they would walk around and do interviews with the guests at The Breakfast Club show. And that company eventually bought uh, WKJR, whatever, and wanted us to do a Muskegon version of the Breakfast Club. So we did it, I think, first from Uncle Ron's on Lakeshore Drive. He had originally been downtown, made a nice restaurant. Then they went out of business and we moved to for a while, we did a breakfast club show from the Muskegon Mall uh, interim on the phone line from the stage, then to Russ's on Henry Street. That was very special. My wife and daughter both worked there. Her daughter still does. They were there many, many years. Did it from the Tallandine room 
in the back where there used to be a drive-up thing, you know. And I got me a wireless microphone and I'd walk around and talk with the various breakfast club guests. And it became a very, very popular and much listened to show. One of the other stations tried to do a breakfast club from the Cherokee, but uh, they couldn't beat mine. I don't remember which station it was, but that was. We also, for a short time, did the breakfast club from the North Muskegon Russes, and also from hmm, another restaurant in Whitehall. You might be able to remember the yeah. name of it. Anyway, so yeah, breakfast club was was. Of course, an idea originally with Don McNeil on the ABC network back in the old-time radio days. It was very, very successful and one of the great memories. Yeah. I think we did good, really good local radio in those days. Lots of listeners. As of this taping... Which is uh, on... Which is the end of September. End of September, yeah. I am... 89 and three quarters years old. I don't look a day older than 89 and three quarters. That's why I keep my hat on. <laughs> oh, speaking of hats, this is the WTRU hat. This is the WQWQ. Now, the little tails are worn off of it, and people will say, oh, you worked at WOWO in Fort Wayne? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that was WQW. I don't think WKBZ ever had a hat, but I do have a T-shirt with a WQWQ uh, logo, all car letters on it. I'll, I'll dig that out. And yeah, every radio station had a mug with car letters, and those are still very popular. For a while, we did a remote from Third Street, and I have a pick. I have a cup with the names of the Third Street sponsors of that on it. We did it from a, a bakery on Third Street. There was Matson Old and Walt Plant Appliances. Uh, great, great memorabilia. Yeah, I must mention Al Flog, who was a great, great, much loved manager of Hardy Herpelsheimer's. He worked for the parent company, uh, the world's greatest show business aficionado. He was friend of all the stars. He had been in local show business earlier in some of the, the uh, Port City Playhouse productions. And he, he was a great personal friend of everyone who knew him. He had that ability of making you think you were just the most important person in the world. And people who in the old days worked for him at Hardy's still remember Al Flaug. He went to California, came back here, and finally passed away after uh, a, a cancer fight of many, many years. He, a great name that must be remembered. And he was involved in the remote that we did uh, from the mall. He and a fellow named Ken Vanderlong and Ken's son uh, did a remote from the mall. Give Al Flog a, a good thumbs up. Very, very important, memorable part of Muskegon. Ken Vanderlong uh, 
was also a minister. And after leaving radio for many years, he was the minister at the United Methodist Church in Mears. Uh, he is still around. His health is not great. Uh, but I, yes, Ken and I had great fun, and he got me involved in the annual parade up in Mears. That, that was awful. The town that town that had wonderful, wonderful history, and I was privileged to be a part of that. Probably favorite Muskegon memory that I have is working overnights at WQWQ for reasons I already explained. The boss isn't listening. Um, and I'm not a morning person by nature. I want to be in bed by 10. When I was a piano player with a band, the others would jam up after the job and I just wanted to go home. But in spite of that, I did do some morning shows and found that I was very good at it. That kind of, I did a morning at WKBZ for a while. At KOJM in Haver, Montana, I was KOJ, or no, CM in the AM on KOJM. <laughs> I had a lot of listeners in the morning on KOJM. So I found that I could do just about any time of day because I was just supposed to be in radio and I could do it except Top 40 and Rock. When they wanted me to do that, I just couldn't, couldn't deliver what they wanted. Just had a traditional delivery. Couldn't talk that fast and loud. One of the stations, the overnight show, a couple of broadcasters who worked there showed up, looked in the window, saw the overnight girl jock, buck naked. <laughs> Uh, adult beverage in her in her hand. Her boyfriend was there, so they called the manager, <laughs> who went to the station and promptly fired the buck naked lady. Now, I personally liked that lady a lot, uh, and she 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 worked. Uh, for a while in what they called the pit at WTRU. Uh -huh. Kind of a sunken room for sunken people, I guess. <laughs> that was, she was wearing purple socks and that's all. <laughs> do you remember any, um, shoot morning news, but do you remember any other female announcers that you Well, when I came to town, woman named, uh, let's see, every station in those days had a, had a morning show with a woman doing it, and the KBZ star was a woman named Connie Chaplin. Now, I met her only once, but old-timers still remember the name of Connie Chaplin, who did the morning show at WKBZ. And she was replaced by Marge Champagne for a while. I, I loved Marge. She was a great lady. Another woman named Roxy Kinney. I think she still may be with us. That was Lowell Kinney's wife. And a whole series of ladies who did the, the morning shows at WKBZ. 
Um, yeah, you're right. June Rice had a had a great great voice. Oh, I was supposed to be the original program director at WVLV. That's another weird story. When the owners of the Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp put the station on the air. They hired the manager who had been at Interlochen to put the station on the air. He hired me as the original program director. It got as far as asking what color I wanted the walls painted. I went out there a few times. Then something strange happened. There was a fire or an explosion or something and uh, stories about what caused it and nobody ever quite knew or said that manager was released and I think a, a local Episcopal priest was the first manager and everybody that this guy from Interlochen had hired was unhired before they ever got hired so that's as close as I came to working at WVLV Strange story. And in those days, during an election, the entire staff had to go to a remote and report from that polling place. And it was, oh, it was awful when you're supposed to sound authoritative and read the returns and who got this many votes and you have no idea what you're talking about. And let's see, one time Hal Waddell called when I was on the air doing election returns and it, I had, I think I had given the, the local dog catcher credit for winning the mayor's election. <laughs> Some such crazy insane thing because I didn't know what in the heck I was talking about. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, any chance you can zoom down will, on my beautiful no. socks? My daughter-in-law, Anne, Cliff Jr.'s wife, keeps bringing me these wild and crazy socks. In fact, I have requests from people on my Facebook page wanting to know, Anne, where do you get those babies? Only she knows, and I think she will probably tell. I have two of the world's most wonderful daughter-in-laws. And, and Jan, Jan cooked for one of the local nursing homes. And oh man, can that woman cook? And she just, as you know, I write on Facebook. I refuse to get into politics or ethics or theology. There is, heaven knows, is enough. I just write silly things. And I have a, probably a dozen people who follow me regularly and have a great fun and we're, we're a happy family. I also write five blogs, which I do not publicize, but I think now that I'm near being a, a nonagenarian, can you believe when you're 90, you're, you are called a nonagenarian. They could have come up with a better word. Non, okay. Octo is not bad. Anyway, now that I'm close to being 90, or niner, as they say, to make it clear, I think I might make public the addresses for my five blogs. There is one about religion, but it's not very serious. There's one about uh, 
uh, death, which I do recommend. And again, it's not a very serious look at death. There's one about introverts called Introverts Are Interesting. And one called Paul's Peculiar Pronouncements. And who is Paul? Well, you have to read it to find out. And it's, it's, see, that doesn't, that, I don't know how many. Oh, the original blog is called Burping Canary Feathers. And that came about. There's a radio connection here. Burping canary feathers was a phrase used by a woman who interviewed me for a church newsletter. She didn't invent the phrase, but when I told her that I loved working overnight radio because I could get away with things, she wrote that I was fairly burping canary feathers. I was so happy to be able to, like the cat that swallowed the canary. So I named my blog Burping Canary Feathers. And that is about um, early pop culture, 30s and 40s, especially radio. And I, some of my early ones on that were really a, think, a, a work of art, a lot of research and good pictures of old-time radios and movies. I would like people to read that. And I think that adds up to five of some of the more recommendable with others. And I think I might make those addresses uh, available to the public soon. So some of them were pretty good. Okay. I got lots of uh, uh, Facebook things about Betty Page, including one. Now, who's Betty Page? She was an actor. Oh, she was a great, greatest pit-up girl ever. Her, uh, she was on World War II airplanes. Very, very uh, girls today still want to look like Betty Page. And uh, at, at the time she died, <laughs> the minister of the Crystal Cathedral out in California <laughs> did a eulogy for him and I have a photo of him looking skyward saying wonderful things about the late, late Betty Page. Oh, funny. Schuler, Reverend Robert Schuler, famous, famous preacher at the Crystal Cathedral, eulogizing Betty Page. Muskegon Country! Muskegon Country, it has everything, including its own official song. Here are the Chapel Hill Singers. Muskegon Country, Muskegon Country. Visit us once and we know you'll 
shake a friendly hand that lets you know you're always welcome here. you to learn the Muskegon Country song, Hackley Bank, in cooperation with Operation Impact, is happy to offer this limited edition recording of three different versions of the tune. Here is Miss Amy Reimer at the organ. Sing or play Muskegon Country. It's your song. It belongs to the people who are proud to live here. And there are as many different ways to perform it as there are different kinds of people that go to make up our own Muskegon Country. Sing along with me now once more, Muskegon Country. Muskegon Country, Muskegon Country. The water and the woods and the sun and the sand What a great year-round vacation land What a place to live and to work and to play Visit us once and we know you'll want to stay Muskegon country, Muskegon country Welcome to Muskegon country In a boat, on a bike, or a trail of snow Come let the fun begin Shake a friendly hand that lets you know You're always welcome in Muskegon country Muskegon country, welcome to Muskegon country. It's your song, Muskegon country. Learn it, sing it with pride, and whenever you see a visitor, give him a big welcome to Muskegon country. Welcome to Muskegon country. 